You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Um, this morning is the day before the night. <laughs> this evening starts the uh, Day of Atonement. So I got my, my shofar up here. I won't uh, blow it for you again today. That was such a debacle last week. We'll do better on that. We're going to practice on it. I'm going to get my shofar player get going there. But we were supposed to play it at the end of the service like you would have a service that would go through the night, potentially, and then they would have that at the end of the service the following day with the Jews. And maybe this morning, this message this morning, maybe it comes off as simple to you, you who are believers. You have that been believers for a time. Maybe you've been um, saved a long time. Maybe you've not been saved very long. You don't really understand why we would bring anything Jewish into a Christian service, so-called. But I would say that we're probably missing, I know there ain't no probably to it, we're missing an awful lot because we don't recognize Jesus as a Jew. God sent Jesus to the Jews, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles by God's grace. He made a place for us to be saved, uh, grafted into the Jewish root. And we don't see that a lot. We don't hear that a lot in, in uh, Christian churches, American Christian churches for sure. Um, and there's a lot of things we probably should be doing different. We should have been uh, worshiping on the Sabbath, I'm sure, for years and years and years. I got changed about 300 A.D., and, um, and, and churches just never went back to worshiping on the Sabbath, uh, tragically. And so we lost a lot of things that were very Jewish in nature. That doesn't mean they don't impact us or that they don't uh, have credibility. They're very important, and we need to go back and look at them. Jesus, as a Jew, he observed the Sabbath. Jesus, Jesus said, I didn't come to abrogate the law, to, to change the law. I came to complete the law. I'm what the law looks like. I've told you this before. This is what the law looks like in perfection, walking around in the flesh. If you could keep the law as perfectly as Christ, man, our world would be a completely different place. But we can't. We had to have Christ. He had to die so that we could be able to complete the law. We complete the law now by having Messiah, by having Messiah die on the cross for our sins, us accepting him as Savior. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're saved, if you accept Christ, you're saved. You're in the beloved. You have the Holy Spirit. In that, you have his righteousness. It's not that the law doesn't have effect. It's not that it's not important. It's not that the Ten Commandments aren't relevant. It's that they're still relevant and you weren't keeping them. But by God's grace, you have Messiah and now you're saved and you have eternal life because of it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Feast of Trumpets is a big deal. Uh, Day of Atonement's a big deal. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I was reading, let me tell you, <laughs> what I had planned for this morning, yesterday, and then I get done reading that and I get it all put together and I'm like, man, this is terrible. So I started over. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that happens sometimes, so you're getting uh, numero dos. You're getting the second part, and it may be terrible too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hope so. I would, I would hope it would be good, and it would be uh, edifying to you, and it would be satisfying to our Lord as it's spoken from his pulpit. Um, 
But as I got to reading there, you read Isaiah, and we're going to see something about that scripture in Isaiah. We're going to go back to it, but we're going to be in Leviticus this morning if you want to go there, Leviticus 23. Um, I'm reading, and I go to the, I'm, the minor prophets. They're minor. They call them the minor prophets because the books are really short. It's not like what they said was unimportant. It's what they said was really short and clear and to the point. Most of them involve like terrible threats of God's wrath and judgment, but all of them also include a place of forgiveness. Every one of them have some, and some of them are written to Gentiles, by the way. Um, Obadiah is one of them. That's where Edom, that's where Esau's offspring, they get uh, so far from God that eventually they get punished. Nahum, that's where uh, the Ninevites finally get what's coming to them after 100 years after Jonah. Um, and this is, the, this is the, the, the warning. But in both of those books, there's an opportunity for salvation, even for the Gentiles, if they'll return. If they would return to the Most High God and seek His face, well, then there's a place of reconciliation for them. There's a place of restoration for them. And that's where we come in. I don't know how many Jewish people, we, I bet a bunch of us, I bet more of us have some Jewish blood in us that we would ever know. However, since we don't know, we've largely been raised as Gentiles, we've been raised as non-Jewish people, we're not raised with any of those traditions, we don't know Hebrew, we don't go to synagogue, we don't keep the feast days and all these things, so they don't, it doesn't have a lot of relevance to us. So over time, the Bible got Gentilized, especially the New Testament, but it's very Jewish. When Jews read Matthew, they're like, man, Jesus was a Jew. Look at all these Jewish things he's talking about. And when Gentiles read it, they go, wow, Jesus must have been a Gentile. Look at all these Gentile things. And they don't realize how many of the things that we do and think and say, especially in churches, are coming from a Jewish viewpoint, but they've been twisted over time to better fit into a non-Jewish culture. So I go back, I'm reading these minor prophets, and I see those harsh judgments. But in all of the harsh judgment, God is so merciful, and he provides an escape clause for the Jew and the Gentile. And it comes down to that in Haggai. If you will return to me, I will return to you. It, it says that more than one time. If you return to me, I'll return to you. And in Haggai, we're going to work on it next week if you want to go ahead and read on it. But that's where Feast of Tabernacles come in. I will dwell with you. I'm not just going to come back but I'm going to live with you, and you can be with me where I am. You can come there. You can be with me where I am. It's a big deal, and it's in the Old Testament, and I've, I've been thinking about that. Um, I listen to a number of different people, and people send me little um, videos. You should watch this or what, whatever, and the, the daily, uh, uh, I can't think of what it's called there. Ben, what's his name? Ben Shapiro. He's a, a Jewish man. He doesn't believe in the resurrection, tragically. He says that that came on um, uh, after the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But the reality is you can go to the Torah and you can see where God talks about uh, him being in eternity and man being here, and you can be with me where I am and these kind of things. And somehow, so Ben is, apparently is a Sadducee. He's, he doesn't believe in the resurrection or, or eternal life like that. When you die, you die. If that's the case, then why bother living like anything? Why not just live like you want to live? If there's no eternal life, if there's no God to please, if the only blessings that can come is whatever we receive now, well, then why bother? I mean, some people are going to do better than others. Some people are going to make more money. Some people are going to make less money. Some people are going to live nice houses. Some people are going to drive nice cars, poor houses, poor cars, no car. I mean, why bother trying, right? It's not the case. 
And what I, what I discovered, if I go back and I read carefully, and you can discover this for yourself, I hope you will, many people have only read the New Testament. They haven't read the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, you can see that the Messiah is in the Old Testament. He's there. He's there. And if you read the Psalms carefully, you can even find his name. He's there. But they weren't looking for the thing that they thought they were looking for. When Messiah comes, they're not, they see him in the flesh, and he says, I'm what God sent. I'm the very son of God. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. I'm here. I'm testifying of my father. You know, before Abraham uh, is, I, I was, or however it goes, I am, right? Before Abraham was, I am. I existed before Abraham. They're like, wow, you're only 35 years old. There's no way. He goes, exactly. There is a way. And they're like, I can't believe you blasphemed God. And they, they try to stone him. He was there. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. He was there with God in the beginning. All things were made by him, through him, and for him in the beginning. The Word was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. We read the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And and with God, Elohim, the word Elohim, I am, God, I am, plural, Jesus, there with God in the beginning, putting it together, making it nice, creating, doing. He was there. You can find him if you look for him. But they're not looking for him the way they need to look for him. Leviticus 23, it lists all the major feasts kind of in a, just like a really quick fashion. And Leviticus 16 is where you see uh, this um, with the shofar, the Day of Atonement. But in Leviticus 23, we can see, we'll just read just some highlights of it. Verse 4, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. So all the feasts that are most important to the Jews and to us as well, because they all either say something about Christ, he satisfies them, like the Passover, him being the lamb, um, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, him bring, sending the Holy Spirit. Um, tabernacles, him dwelling with us. Uh, Day of Atonement, Feast of Trumpets, his return. All these feasts have great relevance to us. We can look at them as a schedule of time of Christ doing these things, Messiah doing these things on earth. We can, we can look at it that. And it says that they're all supposed to be holy convocations. So what a holy convocation is, is a holy get-together. So this is a convocation right here. This is a holy convocation. It's God's people together worshiping the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, his son, the sent one, the messenger, the Messiah. This is a holy convocation. We're here to do that. We're here. We're listening to the voice of the pastor but the reality is we're just listening to his voice as he points us to Yeshua, as Yeshua points us to the Father. That's what we're doing. We're singing songs not to Emily. Thank you, Emily. We're not, we're not singing to Emily. Emily's leading us to the place of worship before Messiah, before the Father. That's what we're doing. If you're, if you're unfamiliar with that, well, let me help you. Because things have gotten twisted over time, and I, I've been to churches, you've been to other churches, where the music is unbelievable. They got bands and smoke, I don't know what smoke does, but whatever, smoke does stuff, and then they got the band, and they got the lights, they got other jazz going, they got all this stuff going, and, you're, and, and you start looking at the guy, 
And you're like, man, that guy is an incredible singer. That lady is an incredible singer. They got matching outfits. They're incredible. But the motivation, it got twisted. It got missed. Because we end up going, uh, one, one of the guys, I met him in town, and he was talking about going to Central Baptist. And they had a very talented uh, music leader there for a long time. And, um, and uh, I was talking to him. I'm like, oh, you go to Central? Yeah. I said, oh, Pastor Roland, he's an excellent pastor. You know, I, I really don't like his preaching, but that music guy, he's amazing. What? He's, he's a man. Your eye is on the wrong thing. Your heart is directed on the wrong thing. It's got to be on reconciliation with the Father. And he said, Jesus, I'm going to send you because these people's hearts are on the wrong thing and they need to be reconciled to me. They've gotten confused. They had, they had the prophet Samuel. He's a really good prophet. The people wept and, and so on for 30 days after Samuel or Moses, you know, 40 days of, of, of sorrow when Moses, the prophet. But their eyes were on the wrong thing. Moses was a great man and he was a great prophet and he had a great heart. But he wasn't God. The motivation was wrong. The vision was wrong. The focus was wrong. They got off of the most high God and they got onto a man. And if you watch a man, you're going to be disappointed. I'm just telling you, the man's going to let you down. I told you. Man, I'll, Andrew asked for a ride. And I forgot I was even, <laughs> I forgot to go pick him up. And I mean, you can't count on a man. I try. I do my best to care for you people. I really do. I really do. But I forget stuff. BJ said, hey, come pick this freezer up. That was Monday. On Friday, about 5, I was like, oh, we're supposed to go pick that freezer up. I got to go pick the freezer up. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. I'm just a man. God is not occupied with time or space or even man or man's actions. He does his own thing. He's sovereign over all, and he does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And he's so great, yet he's an all-powerful, yet he'll listen when little old Charlie Alva prays, he'll save his prayers. He'll save his tears in a bottle. Your prayers are like a special incense to him. He takes our worship, our worship, and he saves it. And it's like a sweet-smelling aroma, it says. Who, who does that? God does. He does that. He wants us to have relationship with him. With this Day of Atonement, it had a place, and we're going to see where it originates. It's tragic how it originates. But all these major feasts, they, they have a purpose. They're all supposed to be holy convocations. Whenever we have an opportunity to worship together, we should. We're really slacking that a lot of times. Like if we have any other option, we'll do that. And if nothing else comes on board, then, you know, man, if there's a good ball game, something to go coach or be at or what, we'll go do that, anything. And as a last result, we'll come here and worship together or go to another church and worship wherever you go. And you go there and worship and you're like, oh man, that was a good service. Man, too bad next week I got a, you know, picnic with aunt whoever and wherever, you know. If we got any other reason to not come to church, we'll use that. It's just how we are as people. But God is long-suffering and merciful and he keeps saying, if you'll return to me, I'll return to you. And too many picnics and too many baseball games and too many whatever it is you do on weekends, too many of those, and you get distant from God and something negative happens and you go, God, where are you? How come you're not answering when I pray? How come you don't hear? God's like, man, I've been here the whole time. Come, come back over where I am. I'm over here. Come over here. You're over there. Why don't you get back over here 
We read that in Psalm 27 this morning about how David's desire was to be in the house of the Lord and to dwell with him there. He wants to be where God is. But what we want to do is we want God to come where we are. That's not how it works. If I go to the lowest, you know, scraggliest place in town, bunch of roughnecks, bunch of ruffians living like a hooligan, and I say, God, come over here. And he's like, I'm not going there. I'm not going to get the world's filth on me, but you can come to me, and I'll make you whiter than snow. I'll purge you with hyssop and make you clean. I'll wash you and make you whiter than snow. You come where I am, everything's going to be great. If you want to stay in the pig pen, you can do that. But if you come where I am, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So go where he is. These feasts are holy. They have rules. All of them had rules. All of them had sacrifices, some more than others. We figured out Sunday night that that Feast of Tabernacles, by the time of the end, of, we got the number wrong, Loretta. We were off by about uh, 10, 10 times. But the number's about, uh, in today's numbers, the total number of cattle killed and so on, it came out to like uh, as much as $8 million for that six or seven day feast, whatever that is, seven day feast. It's a lot. The amount of blood and death it takes to cover the sins of men is tremendous. God's not interested in the blood of bulls and goats, he says. He's interested in a heart turned towards him, and then he can, he can relate, and then he can conversate, communicate. He can, we can have uh, intimacy. Not intimacy like you're thinking, but the closeness. I see you guys move closer because you were afraid I was going to pick on you. You know, I was talking earlier about how, how people, you know, the longer they're married, the further they scooch apart, you know. You can tell when they're still young, young lovers, they're on top of each other. And then as time goes on, you know, first you can slide a piece of paper in, and before long you can stick a ruler in there, you know. And if it's long enough, they'll be, like, like Ray said, one's in the kitchen. They're a whole chair apart back there. Ray and Linda, earlier Linda was in the kitchen, you know. So we want intimacy, but we've moved so far away from God. We want intimacy, and he makes a place for intimacy. Verse 24, speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. That word rest isn't in there. You should know that the word Sabbath means rest. It's a day of rest. But anyway, a memorial of blowing the trumpet. So this was Feast of Trumpets. But right after, we'll see, it's a holy convocation. Again, you get together, speak about the things of God. You shall do no customary work. You shall not. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. So we've got to proclaim the fast. We proclaim them in their time, at the right time. We remind other people of them. I wanted to emphasize that. I'm sorry, I, I went too fast there. It was in verse 4. It said, uh, proclaim, uh, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. I wonder if anybody will have the, the um, boldness, the courage, after you leave church today, to call somebody that may or may not have gone to church today and say, hey, did you know that today was the, uh, the Day of Atonement? Yom Kippur, did you know that? And they'll be like, why are you telling me about Yom Kippur? And then you could tell them, like, you need to repent, man. <laughs> you could start with that one. We had those Plant Grow Harvest shirts, right? It said Plant Grow Harvest. On the back it said repeat. 
and one guy scribbled out the one letter and changed it to repent. Plant, go, harvest, repent. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, it gives us the opportunity. We should tell people about the feast days of the Lord. Yes, sir? We're in Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah. I got it. <laughs> I think, you know, people call me a lot of times. They know my mind has got a lot of things going on in there, and a lot of stuff slips through, and they'll say, hey, did you know it was so-and-so's birthday um, on this day? And I'll be like, hey, thanks. And then I'll call them. Hey, happy birthday. They're like, oh, you remembered. No, I didn't. Somebody reminded me, just so you know, if I, if I celebrate your birthday with you, I do love you, and, but I didn't remember. But somebody told me that did. And that's what we should do for one another on these feast days. We could tell them, hey, this Passover's coming up. You thinking about doing anything with your family? Maybe you could have a special meal with your family that night, even if you didn't do it in the Jewish tradition. But you could take it, and you could really point them to Messiah at that, at that meal. You could just have a special meal with some neighbors. That's one of the things about Passover. You're supposed to invite a non-believing neighbor. So you can invite a non-believing neighbor to your house. You can have dinner with them. I don't know, just telling you. Just thought I'd remind you, you know. Okay, thanks for reminding me. We should remind one another of these things because it's what the Bible tells us to do. If you want to get in good with God, here's what you do. Just do whatever he tells you to do. That's all you got to do. That's all we got to do. It's the same, it's called obedience. We just do whatever it is God tells us to do in his book and we're going to be fine. Okay, so the feasts are holy. We get together. We proclaim them in their time. We blow a horn but we're not going to do it today. We're going to do it tomorrow afternoon. But as it starts talking about this Day of Atonement, it's, it's a little different than the other feasts. A lot of them, this is the only one besides Purim that, it, that, doesn't involve, uh, that involves fasting. We do not like to fast. People like to eat. That's why we're shaped like we are in America. We want to eat, and this says you shall not eat for a day. And during that time of not eating, you shall afflict your own soul. So what does it mean to afflict your soul? It means to kind of go through your mind and go through the list. And as much as possible with you, confess the sins that you remember and so on. And just get your, you know, get your path right again with the Lord. A, a lot of us with, the, the, um, with sinful things that come to mind, it's very personal we don't want to share it with, with other people. It does say to um, confess your trespasses one to another. But in that scripture, it gets taken out of, out of context often. And it's talking about I've harmed Ed. And I go to Ed and I say, Ed, this is what I did wrong to you. You know, I took the air out of your tire and I put it in mine. I did you wrong and I'm sorry. That's what it means. It doesn't mean stand before the church and it's like, you know, I, whatever I did last week. I couldn't tell you. If I told you all the stuff I did wrong, you wouldn't listen to me afterwards. So it's not about telling every sin that you got to men. We don't need that. We don't need to have a confessional before men. We have the most high priest, Jesus Messiah. We can confess our sins to him. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why am I going to tell you? I'm going to tell him. I told a little lady in Peru one time, a sweet lady, I know some of you heard this before, I'm going to tell you again, but a sweet little lady, and she was just sobbing. I can't come to God because I've had three abortions, and the word abortions was miscarriage, but it's the same word in Spanish. 
she had had three abortions. And because her body had rejected the child, she hadn't done it willingly. She hadn't gone and got an abortion, as we would call it. But she had aborted three children. She said, I can't face God. And I didn't understand what she was talking about at first. And I told her the First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins. And her eyes got so big. She said, yeah, but I got to go to the priest and tell him. I said, you don't have to tell anybody. What about telling my children? You don't have to tell your children. I don't repent before my children unless I've harmed my children. I just have to repent before God. And then he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and he makes me a new creation. And he makes me confident and bold to go and do whatever work he's called me to do because he's changed me, he's cleansed me, he's made me whole. And now I can go do whatever it is he tells me to do. Without the burden like like Pilgrim, I don't have the pack on my back wearing me down full of rocks anymore. I shake it off and I'm free to go and do his will. And that lady just couldn't believe it. And I, she said, well, what do I need to do? I said, uh, you just need to confess your sin before God. I said, you can pray that right now in, in silence or out loud either way. And he'll forgive you. And she didn't believe it. She went to another pastor and he told her the same thing. He's like, you don't, it was $150 and they're making $3 a day. It was $150 to pay a priest to forgive you for one. And she had three. I mean, so you got to carry that burden for a lifetime because you don't have, whatever that comes to, $450? I mean, that's a year's salary. That's a year's wages, you know? How could she ever be free? But if the Lord makes you free, you'll be free indeed. He's like, go your way. Go and sin no more. Okay. I mean, what a blessing if we'll just take advantage of it. Anyway, it says you shall afflict your souls. If we actually had to go through that long list of afflicting ourselves, uh, you know, we've been told how much God is love. He is love. The Bible says that he is love. He's also wrath. He's both. He's all. He's both. We've, we forget, we've been told in culture that, that God is love, Jesus is love, that's all he is. But he's more than that. He's not just one thing. And we forget also that the father is a good father. And any good father that saw his child run towards the street would grab him up and spank his behind because he wants him to live. So it's okay to confess sin to the father. It's okay to confess sin in Jesus' name and say, Lord, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Fix this thing in me. And he will. If we neglect to remember the negatives of our lives, we become extremely prideful. I think it's where the roots of I'm a good person come from. We see that in culture. You can ask any person, any unsafe person, and say, you know, do you believe you're a good? Oh, I'm a good person. Well, I never killed anybody. Well, yeah, in your, with your actual hands, but with your words and your thoughts, you've done way worse. You've crippled thousands by the words that you've said emotionally. You've had lustful thoughts. You know, you've lied. You've stolen. You've blasphemed the name of God. You've harmed your mother and father by the words you've said and by your actions. You're not a good person. You get a D minus, maybe an F on the good person uh, chart. But Christ can make you a good person. He can change you. He can make you into a good person. So we need to get that out of our minds. And if I, if I really, like I said, sit down and think about it, I can go to that Psalm 51, it's verse 4, and that's where David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. The thing I got to get right in this atonement process is I got to get my relationship with the Father right. He's waiting to receive you to himself. Let me just tell him. 
And he says, okay, I know. I saw you do it. And then he says, I'm going to cast your sin into the deeps of the sea. I'm going to cast it as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to cast your sin so far away that not only am I going to cast it away, but I'm going to forget about it. And you say, well, I can't even forget about it. He's like, forget about it. I, I'm telling you, I told you this a couple weeks ago, this is, this is a very realistic prayer for you to do. And I promise you, try it, it'll work. It's when these sins of your past come to your mind, right then, repent of them, ask God to forgive you of them, and ask him to remove them from your memory. Say, Lord, I don't want to dwell on that anymore. I want you to just take that away from me and, and help me to forget that forever. And he will. If it comes back again, pray the same thing again. He will, because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. He can cleanse your mind of all unrighteousness as well. So that this day of atonement, I want to go over here to first chapter 16, Leviticus 16, just for a second. And I want to show you something. This is where the foundations of it is. The need uh, to afflict our souls, the need to get things right before God. Right before the, this, this initial day of atonement, what happened was Aaron's sons um, produced uh, this offending, uh, unholy fire. They took some censers and they went before the Lord with some, and it's called profane fire, and they made some prayers and stuff for the people, but it wasn't their thing to do. It wasn't in the right motivation. It was them trying to get some uh, status and some authority amongst the people. And God strikes them dead. Not only that, he tells Aaron, don't you weep for those people in front of other people. You've got to keep your sorrow for yourself. That'd be terribly hard to do. If your two sons were struck down in front of you, and then the Lord said, don't weep for them. They were wicked. Now you need to go deal with this. I want you to go be the priest of those people and make this right. And that's where it starts. And in this, we have the two goats. Maybe you know this about that. So we have two goats that are brought. And the two goats, he puts all the sins of all the people on one of the goats. And then they take that goat and lead it out in the wilderness. And on the other goat, they, they sacrifice it and lay it on the, on the altar and burn it up. The goats are chosen by lot. It's kind of sad. Look, look right here, verse 8, 16, verse 8. Then Aaron cast, shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offered as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And then they kill other animals and so on. And they do a, a whole lot of other things, sprinkling blood on people and so on. You know, we don't do a lot of public goat killing in the United States. And if I did take a goat, if I took two goats today, and I got Andrew clipped to one, and we lay all the sins of everybody from Plant Row Harvest on this one, and I got Ed up here with me on the other one, and we kill and cut it apart, I dare say next week probably wouldn't be as many people at church. And you know what's crazy about this goat thing is they would take the goat with all the sins on it, and it was a picture of the the um, of the the scapegoat of all the sins being carried and being carried far away as far as the east is from the left, right? But what they would do is, I'd be like Andrew, all right, now take the goat out there, don't tell nobody, but to the goat, kill the goat, because we don't want it coming back. 
Because if it comes back, it brings all the sins of all the people back with it, right? So take the goat and make sure the goat doesn't come back. You got me? Like with the, you know, take care of the goat. Think of the picture if the goat returns. Your, return, your sins have returned upon you, you know? The sins of the fathers onto the grants, all that. It's all that picture. He's like, you make sure that goat doesn't come back. It's a, it's a major picture there in the Old Testament. What we got to do is we need to get out of here and we need to go to the New Testament. <laughs> we got to see that this time between the shout of the trumpet, Yom Teruah, and of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, there's actually a Sabbath that falls in between there, and it's called the Sabbath of Return. And that's where we fall, the Sabbath of Return. If we return to him, he'll return to us. That's where we want to be. Hosea 14, 1 and 2, return to Israel. Uh, return, O Israel, to the Lord thy God. This is the last chance in the Sabbath of return. Uh, we're going to go to Isaiah 55 next if you want to go look at that, Isaiah 55. This last chance for people to hear a message of repentance and return. We were supposed to greet one another. Did I already tell you this today? We were supposed to return, uh, meet, greet one another today with, may your name be found written in the book. We got more than one book in the Bible. We got the book of life and we got the other books. It says all the books will be open. People will be judged in Revelation. There's multiple books. And the Jews wanted their name in the book. And we got till the end of the service tomorrow night to find our name written in the book because once the books are closed, that was your chance for the year. If you got sin beyond what was taken care of by the atonement, the atoning sacrifice of the goat and so on, if the sin was beyond that, guess what? You better be really good this next year and eat healthy because you don't want to die with your name not written in the book. Right? So we got to make it through the year or we can just have our name written in the book and we'll see that we can know that. So this is a chance for a person to hear this message. Isaiah 55, I read you part of that this morning, but look what it says Isaiah 55, I read you 6 and 7, but look at verse 5. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Israel is glorified. Nations that are not of Israel will run to the Lord because of Israel, because of Israel's God, because of the Savior, the Messiah that came to Israel. Guess what? That's you. That's us. Now, for them, for you, and for Israel, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Quit living wickedly, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and the Lord will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Wow. All nations, you had the opportunity to receive Messiah just like the Israelites did. And what you got to do is seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. It's a holy convocation. We meet together. We read these things. We do it on the Sabbath. But we say, a lot of people, I've heard it my whole life, you have too, and they say something like, you know, like that scripture says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and so on. Uh, they, they hear that and they say, well, we're not his people. You don't want to be his people? I want to be his people. I don't want to not be his, not, not, not be his people. 
I want to be his people. I don't know if you got that one, but I don't want to not be his people. I want to be his people. And if he calls his people to do certain things like seek his face and call upon his name, then I want to do that because that's what the God of the universe tells me to do. I need to do whatever it is. It's the Forrest Gump principle. Whatever you tell me to do, drill sergeant, that's what I'm going to do. You're a genius, Gump. You're a genius believer. If you do whatever it is God tells you to do, if you do that, you're a genius. You know, the simplest IQ of 50 person that seeks the Lord with his whole heart, you know he'll be saved. You know, the brilliant genius guy, 200 IQ guy, if he seeks the Lord's uh, with his whole heart, he'll be saved. And you fall in there somewhere in between, hopefully. You fall in between. Somewhere in there, he makes a way for all men to be saved if you'll call upon his name. For as many as received him, they gave him the right to be called children of God. That's amazing. We don't have to do the goat. Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. He chose us. He chose the people from Ephesus. Ephesus is in Turkey. They're not Jews. There might have been Jews there, but he chose us just like he chose you from before the foundation of the earth. He knew the worst that you would ever do, and he chose you anyway. If you knew the worst someone else, if you knew the worst your spouse was ever going to do to you, you'd have chose a different spouse. Really, if you knew up front, right? But once you're there, you're, you're kind of stuck. You've got to hang in there, right? God knows the worst that we would ever do, and he chose us anyway. And he loves us anyway. And he's merciful to us anyway. Let's not reject the things of God just because they don't fit into our schedules or because it conflicts with our desires, like fasting on Day of Atonement or, or, or doing some other thing when one of the feast days asks us to do. Why not? What's the worst that could happen? Well, you might grow closer to the Lord. That'd be terrible. Man, it says to be holy and blameless before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, to which he made us accepted in the beloved. Wow, that's good. Having predestined us, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, this is Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Man, that's amazing. We don't need the goat. Jesus was the scapegoat. He took all the sins upon himself. Jesus was the most perfect sacrifice. He took the death on, his, uh, on our behalf, on himself, on the cross. Man, that's an amazing scripture there in Ephesians. A Sabbath rest, Hebrews says, a Sabbath rest remains therefore for God's people. And in the next verse there in verse 11, it says, let us make every effort to enter into that rest. If I know this is true in Ephesians 1, 4 through 9 or 10 there, if I know that's true, that he predestined me to adoption of sons according to the good pleasure of his will, he made us accepted in the beloved, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. If I know that's true, why don't I take it on? All these feast days are about reconciliation with the Father. 
all of them are designed to help us identify what it means to be distant from him and to be close to him. Um, we could say, we could like a particular person. One of my, I told somebody the other day, I got to meet uh, Ashley Judd one time. I was at the airport. She was there with her service dog. She's a strange little person. And um, she was very much into those dogs. And I was just, I was just talking. We had to stand for a long time. I'm talking to her. And, um, and I could see people walking by. I didn't know who she was. I see people walking by and they're like, oh, oh that's, that's, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. And they're walking by and seeing her. And I just, you know, just another person to talk to while you're waiting in line to go through customs or whatever. And, um, and eventually I see her thing, Ashley Judd, and my mind goes, I think that was uh, like, I was thinking about the judge, the band, but it was the sister there that was a movie actress. And she was so interested in herself and talking about herself and her problems and why she needed these service animals and everything. And the minute I said uh, something about the fact that I had kids or something just in conversation there, she completely shut me off. She was done talking to me. Because it's all about her and, and her thing. I have no desire to grow closer to Ashley Judd. She had no desire to grow closer to me. This is not how God works. God has every desire that you would be close to him that you would have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace that he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. He'll give you more. He'll give you extra if you'll just get in there, get close, read his word, seek his face, seek him while he can still be found. Return to him, he'll return to you. Get into his kingdom. We, I've told you that before with the prodigal son. The king doesn't go outside his uh, realm. The son had to come back into the king's realm and then he was in there. But if he wants to stay in the pig pen, he can stay there. It's up to him. It's up to you. So we're here together with this opportunity to have better reconciliation with the father. And unlike the poor Israelites and those still today, the Jews still today, that are wondering if their name is written in the book, you can know these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Have the son, life. No son, no life. Easy. Easy. We just need to have the son. If you recall Again, that that Day of Atonement was the only day every year that the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. It's the only day. And then he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat on that day. And that was the day, especially as the times got later in the, in the, in the priesthood up until the times of Christ, that's the only day that God would speak, supposedly, to the high priest was on the Day of Atonement. And he would go in there and he would sprinkle the blood and then he would stand there, and I, I think it was about an hour total, and he would just stand there, and then the Lord spoke or he didn't. And then he would come out, and he would give a word. And if you remember there the story of Zechariah, the father of John, and he, he comes out and he has a word, but he can't say it. I said, oh, the Lord revealed himself to him. He has a word. And he's like, nothing's coming out of the hole. I can't make words come out. He struck him mute, remember? Because he didn't believe. Even he was shocked that the Lord spoke to him when he was in there in the Holy of Holies. Even he was shocked. Hmm. But we can know. We can know. 
We can go to the mercy seat. We don't have to go once a year for a certain time. We don't have to kill some animals and spill more blood. The blood's already been spilled. We can know we already have the high priest. He's already there. We already have the lamb sacrificed from before the foundation of the earth. We already have him. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ, the sacrificial lamb's already been sacrificed. Just accept the sacrifice. It's already been done. All of the feast days were days where God was making himself available to be more easily found by men, more easily described, more easily discerned, where, where men could grab onto him. Like the lady that touched the hem of his garment. He's passing by. She's just like lunging out and, and just, if I could just grab onto him and get, just get, just, just get a, a touch, just get a little. He's like, okay, I'm right here. Come to me. I don't have to worry every day, moment by moment, whether or not my name is written in the book. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, should not perish, will not perish, but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If you grab onto him, you don't have to worry about whether or not your name's written in the book. It's not the blood of bulls and goats that he wants. It's your spirit that he wants. Your spirit's very valuable to him. And so I pray today, like the Bible says, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So there's only one name under which salvation is given. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I said, how will we know the way? It's kind of funny. We always read it as, I am the way. But they ask, the disciples ask him, how are we going to know the way? He goes, I'm the way. That's how it should read. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the what you're looking for. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come through me, get to the Father. Okay, you're the way, you're the way. He described himself as that. And, and unlike the Jews today, they have to do all these good things. They're supposed to do a certain amount for the poor, and they're supposed to give money away, and they're supposed to have special meals and stuff. They're supposed to work extra hard to make sure their name's written in the book. And the Bible tells us it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. It's not the stuff that you do. You can't do enough. Your, your scale is always already tipped on the bad side. There's big lumps of coal on the bad side. You can't overcome it with whatever it is you weigh. You don't weigh enough. But with Christ, you do. <laughs> with Christ, you'll take the balance the other direction. And this is what I pray for you on this day, is that you have a response to someone who might ask you or say to you, may your name be found written in the book. And you can say, oh, my name's written in the book. Andrew, can you say that your name's written in the book, brother? It's written in the book. Have you confessed the name of Christ personally? Are you following him? Oh, you're in the book. It's that simple. I pray that you'll do that if you haven't. If it isn't, you're not sure, then you fall under the life for a life principle. The, the ancient way, the Arabic way, the Semitic way, is a life for a life. A hand for a hand, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. That's how it falls. So your life for the life you've lived because you've sinned against God. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Or you can say, 
Christ's life for my life. I've told you this before, I tell you again, that when we stand on that day, there's going to be a language spoken that we're not going to understand. There's going to be a most high God on the throne, a judge. And there's going to be a mediator, a lawyer, standing beside you that's going to be Christ. And he's going to speak a language to the Father that you don't understand. And he's going to ask you how you plead. And you're, going to, you're not going to get away with, I'm a good person, because in that moment, your entire life will be displayed. And every wicked deed, every wicked word, every terrible thought, everything you've ever done wrong is going to play up there. And your little list of good that you were going to try to remember, to be, what about that time I helped BJ you know, not fall over the sidewalk out there or whatever. And that's, it's not even going to come to your lips, because you're going to feel like a fool to even think about it. And he's going to say, mediator, what do you say? He's going to say to you, what do you say? And you say, Lord, I'm, I'm guilty of sin. But uh, I accepted Christ, and he said that he would save me if I would confess my sins to him and follow him. And I just fall on his mercy right now. And the judge is going to say, come up here, Jesus. You ever see him do that in court? And they get him right there. And he's like, do you remember this guy? Yes, I do. <laughs> All right, you're free to go. And if he doesn't know your name, guess what? You're going to the place of outer darkness, and it's going to be a bad place. But you can know today, the ransom's already been paid, and you can repent today, and you can be freed, and you can live forever with Christ as your Messiah. So I want to tell you that this week you have the opportunity tonight. Um, so you're supposed to have a nice meal this afternoon with family and friends. You can do this or not. This is on you. This is, well, I'm just giving you the Jewish flavor right here. Uh, and then you can fast, so, so you have this nice meal. Then tonight and into tomorrow till about evening time, you can fast and, and afflict yourself if you choose to afflict yourself. Or you can just in prayer and joyfulness thank the Lord for his goodness towards you. You can serve others more highly than yourself, and you can do those things positive if you want to do that. And then tomorrow night you should have a joyful meal knowing, knowing that your name is found written in the book of life. I pray that today you know that your name is written in the book of life. If it's not, if you have any hint of fear, terror, if you have trouble sleeping at night, if you have no assurance of salvation because of whatever it is you got going on in your life, then today, today can be the day of your salvation. And I pray that you would take every advantage of that. This is a joyful day, not a sorrowful day, because if the Lord make you free, you'll be free indeed. I want us to play a little song there. And, and it was that song we sang earlier, Jesus Paid It All. It's a great song. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. If you take sin, if you take red, it's an unusual thing, but if you take a red crayon, if I write on a whiteboard with a red crayon and I look at it through a red lens, it appears white. It's, a, just a, it's science. But just know that's how it works. So your, your sin is not looked at by God as black. It's looked at as, by red, as red. We always think of black as the negative, but red is the negative. So you're covered with red. But Christ's blood that was shed for you is also red. His red on your red makes you white as snow. I pray that today is the day of your salvation, that you receive the blood that was sacrificed on your behalf by the Most High God and His Son, Messiah, and that today can be a new day of life for you. I want us to play this song. Can we go ahead and play that, Henry? You got it? Right where you're at, head bowed. If you want to come up here and pray, I'm going to wait for you. Yeah, I'm going to wait for you. I'd be glad to pray with anyone. Today is the day. Please come and pray. If you need to pray and repent, if you need to rededicate yourself, whatever you need to do.
Um, we're going to wait for you. And I hear the Savior say, and I strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. It's Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. I just want to tell you that as we're here together, and um, a lot of times we hear a word, and and um, and it's very moving to us or emotional to us, and in that moment we think, well, I need to do this and that in my life. And like I said, it's not by things that we do that save us; it's by our our faith in Christ and that His about His ability, His power to save. This morning, as you heard the word, I pray that you received it into your spirit and that you go away glad receiving that. I pray that as you heard the word that you wouldn't keep it to yourself. But like we learn, we're supposed to tell other people about the hope that's within us. Um, let's pray together now. And I just want you to have this last opportunity. If you want to pray, I'll be with I'll be here afterwards. You can come talk to me. We'll have this meal together. I'm available there too. There's other people here, Brother Charlie and even Andrew and others. There's some ladies here, Loretta, um, that could help you if you need to um, consider these things that you haven't that you haven't dealt with spiritually in your life. It's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. We all have to die. We don't know when we're going to die, but we all have to die. And it's better to have it. It's the only way is to have uh, our destination, our tickets booked in advance before we get there. To wait and see, to have limited faith and so on. Man, you're only harming yourself. You don't show yourself to be manly, to reject the, the uh, hope that's given to you. That doesn't make you more masculine or, or more womanly or more uh, resilient or tougher or any other thing. It just makes you a fool. So I pray that today will be your day. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have here together this morning. We are grateful for your mercy towards us. Your mercy is new every morning and great is thy faithfulness. You're so good to us that you don't hold our sins against us, but you make a way for us to be free from the chains of sin and death. And I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your long-suffering towards us. Man, I pray for the nation of Israel today, Lord, and those of the Jews that are still battling and they still can't see that the Messiah has come, Lord. I pray for those Gentiles, those of our country, our countrymen, those that are stealing over the border. Lord, that people would come to their senses while there's still time and repent. Lord, I pray for our government and our nation. 
We have wicked men in control over us, wicked men and women that are seeking their own desires and they're not concerned about their people. Lord, I pray for the afflicted and the oppressed today. Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for the widows and the orphans. I pray for the children of our fellowship, the children of these communities around, though we haven't seen some of them lately. Lord, I pray for them that you would show mercy towards them. Keep them safe, Lord. Keep them safe from those predators that would seek to harm them, Lord. Keep them safe from those false teachers that would seek to lead them astray and lead them away from you, Lord. Lord, pray for these that are here, Lord. I pray for as we watch the news and we hear these things that makes us nervous, Lord, that if we would find our strength in you, that our will and our life would be completely dedicated to you, Lord, that you would lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We'll give you all the honor, glory, and praise for all the things that you do in our lives, the breath in our lungs, the life that you give us for our children, Lord. I pray for our children that you would save them, rescue them, Lord, from this, from this world. Thank you again, Lord. Thank you for the food in the hands that prepared it, Lord. I pray for these that have come, Lord, in the fellowship to come, Lord, that they'll speak of godly things and take the opportunity today to seek your face while you may still be found. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we do have a meal. We have plenty, I'm sure. And um, I ask you to stay and eat with us, even if you're not familiar with us, and that's how you get to know us. And so it's through the fellowship of believers that we get to know one another. And we'll have this as this is the team. Um, as negative things happen in our world, this is the team that we'll have to deal with. So we want to be able to support one another, encourage one another in the name of the Lord, okay? All right, God bless you all. We'll have a service tonight at 6 p.m. We're going to talk about uh, the Day of Atonement, but we'll give some different details there. It'll be new and fresh, I hope. All right, God bless you all, and uh, come, come break bread.